You're listening to Oh No Lit Class. Mostly dead authors, fresh takes. Ruining required reading, one book at a time. said we'd leave him for a week and now now we're letting him out uh hello and welcome to ono lit class and if you were confused by that opening well this is part two why are you listening to part two before you listen to part one go back and listen to part one but also remember that part one is only seven minutes long uh i'm megan i'm rj and the short version of episode 69 part one is actually that got a, a new job and, and ramping up to thanksgiving it was it was really bad. It was uh, a nightmare, and I was not ready. And then RJ was like, hey, let's dom our audience. <laughs> Why well, dom our audience in every episode? Ugh. Well, as we talked about way back in the Haunting of Hill House episode, as, as Moxie LaBush put it so well, listening to Honola class is an act of consent. It is. <laughs> What's our uh, safe word? There isn't one. <laughs> Welcome to Onolit class, the classic literature podcast where there is no safe word. <laughs> So now, as promised, now that you have done your time of a week in our sex basement, is it a regular basement or is it a sex basement? Did we establish that? Why not both? Why not both? We've got... It's also a rumpus room. <laughs> I mean, is that not the same thing as a sex basement? Mm, could be. The word rumpus has always sounded really weird to me. Like it had some kind of weird sexual connotation. Rumpus, maybe it's because it's got the word rump in it. You rump a lump. <laughs> what? Rump a dump. Rump a dump. Yeah. Dump that rump. Bump a lump. All right. This is nothing. Let's let's deliver on our our promise, our goal, on the beautiful spirit of episode sixty nine, which is this is still episode sixty nine technically. Well, you never sixty nine just once. No, it's just like Pringles. Once you pop, you just can't stop. Oh, everyone gets a turn on top. Once you pop, everyone gets a turn up top. So. We're just kind of going to launch into it. So if you want an explanation of what this episode is going to be about, do go back and listen to part one because it explains every terrible thing that is about to happen. And also, we make a couple good references to the recent supernatural art house film, The Lighthouse. And RJ talks about how he wants to stick the Baby Yoda puppet from The Mandalorian in his butt. It consented. (laughs) He gave me a little thumbs up. No! No! Baby Yoda's pure... Don't Isn't do he like fifty? I don't know. I don't actually watch The Mandalorian. I, c- I consume it through gifts of Baby Yoda. Anyway, here I didn't even I didn't even say the word. Fifty Shades of Grey, Episode sixty nine, doing the sex thing. Oh no, lit class. We, we why why do you listen? Why do you listen to this horrible nightmare? Hey RJ, tell us about El James. I guess. What a hottie. I, I do have a bit that is blatantly stolen from uh, other shows that E.L. James looks like. E.L. James looks like she should be one of the moms on the show Dance Moms. Mm. E.L. James looks like she would try to make a pass at your English teacher during a parent-teacher meeting. 
E.L. James looks like an English teacher who would try to make a pass at your dad during a parent-teacher meeting. Definitely not. All right, well, how about E.L. James looks like the aunt who rolls up to the holiday dinner already drunk on that wine that comes in sippy cup singles and spends the whole evening saying things that sound like euphemisms that no one really understands, then doing an exaggerated wink every single time, and then uh, holding a mistletoe over her head and waving it suggestively. Closer. That's all I got. (laughs) Erica Leonard Mitchell was born March 7th, 1963. Now, Miss Mitchell's chosen online nom de plume is Snow Queen's Ice Dragon. Now, I'm one who's happy to honor someone's chosen name, if I like it. (laughs) Which is never. I don't like Snow Queen's Ice Dragon. First, the Snow Queen is a Han Christian Andersen creation. I thought Elsa was the Snow Queen. Well, Fro- Han thought- Christian Andersen wrote about the Snow Queen. I thought Frozen 2 was the... Yes, I know. I'm being an asshole. All right. Oh, an ice dragon. That is the name of an open-sourced Mozilla Firefox build. Yep, that's where she got it from, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, if you have to hide your browser history, maybe that's the way to go. In short, I'm going to call Miss Mitchell P. Green, after my favorite borrower from the film, The Borrowers. Why? <laughs> Why, you may ask? Why? Well, one, the film is a delightful 90s romp about itty-bitty people, led by Jim Broadbent. Broadbent. His name is Broadbent. (laughs) Jim Broadbent, who borrow things from normal-sized humans in a house. And, out of respect to Miss Mitchell's own borrowing, I'm doing borrowing of my own. And lastly, if you partake in some of the actions Miss Mitchell writes about, you may pee green, especially if you don't wrap your shit up. So consider this a warning. Mm, yeah, wrap it up. Always pee after sex. Really got to pee after masturbating too. It just keeps everything going the way it ought to down there. <laughs> this is Ono Lit Class PSA. Piss after sex. It's a health thing. So pee green was a good English. Now class. is that actually your favorite borrower, or did you just pick? Did you just look at the list of the borrowers and pick the one that had the worst name? Well, no, it fits in with the first name. I mean, perfect. <laughs> yeah, all right. Uh, so, P. Green was a good English lass, born in Middlesex, and raised in Buckinghamshire. They don't name cities like they used to. They really don't. Mama P. Green was a homemaker, and Daddy P. Green was a cameraman for the BBC. P. Green's first school was Piper's Corner School. This is a school for girls, ranging from four years old all the way to 18. Notable alum include Kelly Osborne, Ozzie and Sharon's daughter, and that's it. <laughs> And E.L. James. (laughs) I guess so. Not much to boast about, but there are worse schools. Megan, Carrot Top. You went to the same school. Uh You went there. Also, are we doxing ourselves? (laughs) Anyway, an all-girl school. Maybe this explains some things. Does it? There's not really, like, any hot lesbian action. Internal. Yeah. You gotta look at the words. And that, sex scenes. That she's not writing? That are not written. God, I hate you. you got to pay attention to the sex they're not having. And when you look at that, a lot of lesbian sex. <laughs> so much. Eventually, P. Green was pulled out of that school for all girls and was moved into Wycombe High School, which was also only for girls. This does make me think that studios missed out on a chance to make a show or movie about girls at all-girls schools experiencing Twilight for the first time and taking all that pent-up Big Edward energy and putting it toward their own literary use. I'm going to be honest, I would absolutely watch that. That would probably be a fascinating show. But E.L. James was not uh, was not a horny tween when uh, she was writing the Twilight fanfic. 
Speaking of Edward Cullen. Hey, Meg. Yard. Why'd you have to spill your beans? <laughs> Robert Pattinson's in the lighthouse. Apparently, we have to just keep talking about the lighthouse. Yeah, that's all right. Get with it. You're falling behind. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about. Before we move away from Wycombe High School, I have to say, their logo is strange. Of course you do. I never really thought about how a swan would wear a crown, but their solution is the stupidest I've ever seen. Well, you spit on me, so clearly you feel really strongly about this. So what, is it like, is it like around its neck? Does yeah, it so, don't fit on its head? Right, instead of wearing it a crown on its head, the crown is way too big for that, so it slides its head through the crown and wears it around the base of its neck on its chest. The fuck? If a swan wore a crown, would he do it like this? Or this? Again, Meg. Psychologist hat. Fucking the patriarchy? With your swan neck? Or the swan's head's going through the crown. Why do I feel like... I'm getting the weirdest sense of deja vu right now, and I don't like it. Fucking the patriarchy. No. Right in the crown hole. Why is a swan an inherently... Wait. Wait, the patriarchy's the vagina? No. This doesn't hold up. Male power. Oh, because it's a crown? But queens yeah. wear crowns. They could. And a swan, is a swan really a, more of a feminine or a... Ma- you know, this is stupid. This is fucking stupid. Keep talking. Well, the neck is long <laughs> no, and no. bulbous at the end. No, just talk. <laughs> Undergrad life took P. Green to the University of Kent. There she studied his story. Who is his? And what was the story about him? I don't know. I'm gonna murder you. Upon graduating university, which is something that poser Robert Lee Frost never did. <laughs> Please refer to episode 68, Robert Frost versus the Soviet Union. She became a studio manager's assistant at the National Television and Film School, which according to the BBC is the, quote, leading center of excellence for education in film and television program making. Their students have been nominated for Oscars three times in the last decade, so I'll believe it. All right. At the age of 24, P. Green met Niall Leonard, and they snogged, nogged, and bogged, and made some babies. The couple wound up having two sons. It's important to note that P. Green and the rest of her family hate the limelight. They would much rather be ignored than anything else. So, much of her and her family's life has been kept hush-hush. Here's what we know. In 2008, the world was introduced to the movie version of Bella and Edward getting all glittery with each other in Twilight. P. Green was one of those introduced. And from all indications, this made her moist. Ew. In fact, P. Green refers to herself as a twihard, the equivalent of bronies, but for Twilight. Well, okay, that's not entirely fair. Go on. Well, well, yes, twihards were the Twilight super fans, but, like, bronies want cartoon ponies to fuck. These guys just want, like... I don't know. Glittery Eter- vampires. Yeah, eternal glittery vampires to fuck. Look, it's not cartoon bestiality, so I just think it's slightly better is all. <laughs> I disagree. After seeing the movie, she said- furry? Even you have to tell me it's entrapment. <laughs> no. <laughs> After seeing the movie, she sat down and read the entire series from beginning to end. And then she did it again. And again. <laughs> In a few days, she read the entire series more than three times. Well, I mean, they're not tough reads. It's not like you're sitting down and cracking war and peace. There are no reports how swollen her clitoris was ew, after these several days. Ew, 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 ew. But we are safe to assume shit was swole. Probably. God, I hate this. And then, for the first time in her life. They're not even that sexy. And then, for the first time in her life, she decided to sit down and. They were written by a Mormon. No, not dabble in self restraint or CBT. She decided to write a novel. 
She decided to write a continuation of the Twilight series. Some would refer to trying to write a novel as an act of CBT. After she wrote one, she decided to write two more. In 2009, at 46, P. Green learned what she was doing was called fan fiction, and that is something that can be profitable. I don't think she learned that. Like, she, she had an online presence. She had an online handle. It was Twilight AU Fanfic. Do you know what AU Fanfic is? Someone doesn't know how to spell expanded. It's alternate universe fanfiction where you're like, I like these characters, or really, I want to write my own story, but I want to do it with with characters that have already been, whose like personality traits and their relationship and everything have been clearly established, so I don't have to do that. So I can just take these characters that I think are neat and want to like have them bone down. Like, I don't know... Poe Dameron and Finn from Star Wars. I don't know. It's just an example. It's just something I'm pulling out of my head. I don't know. And be like, hey, instead of like, you know, fighting against the Empire, now one of them works in a coffee shop as a barista and the other one's, you know, coming in regularly and they're flirting and one of them makes uh, really cute latte art for the other and, uh, you know, stuff happens. So that's what E.L. James was doing. Yes. And at the age of 46 in 2009, that's when she learned about all this. At least that's how E.L. James tells the story. This is something that she was unaware of at first, despite Megan's protest. So she Quote, was writing them for herself? Quote! I started writing in January 2009 after I finished the Twilight Saga, and I haven't stopped since. I discovered fan fiction in August 2009. Since then, I have written my two fics and plan on doing at least one more. I think she's lying. After that, who knows? I think she's lying. I think she knew before that. Mm. 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 I bring receipts. I think she's lying. And Megan just brings wild conjecture. Hey, Megan, Jeffrey Epstein, did he kill himself? <laughs> this is the conjecture people tune into this show for. Oh, yeah. They're like, hmm, Odo Litklass, what is going to teach me about Shakespeare? But will it also tell me whether or not Jeffrey Epstein killed himself? You can write the story. Because, <laughs> you know, that's a question that's going to come up in your English class. <laughs> Talk about... <laughs> You're taking your quiz. What did the rosebush symbolize in the scarlet letter did jeffrey epstein kill himself under the pen name snow queen's ice dragon she published her work on the amazon kindle platform she's still unsure and amazed as to why her fan fiction in particular took off across the inner tubes while so many did not in 2011 after changing characters names to avoid copyright infringement a small australian publishing company began publishing her fanfic and as they say the rest was his story Horny, horny history. It was a hit. Bigger publishers made huge pushes for her. Universal Studios reportedly offered $5 million for the film rights, which P. Green was happy to accept. There was no going back now. According to the New York Times, the book sold, or so I'm quoting here, the book sold so quickly in Britain that the printers ran out of silver ink for the iconic black and metallic gray covers, which James designed herself. In the United States, Vintage printed more than a million copies a week to meet demand, overwhelming its paper suppliers. We couldn't get enough paper. It felt somewhat surreal. People be horny, and by people, I mean largely middle-aged women, who I guess have finally like, here, now, finally, porn for me. By August 2012, Amazon UK reported that it had sold more copies of Fifty Shades of Grey than the entire Harry Potter series combined. This made P. Green the platform's biggest publisher, surpassing old J.K. Rowling. I have never heard that stat before. That is wild. In total, she published five novels in the series, Fifty Shades of Grey, 
50 Shades Darker, 50 Shades Freed, and then two told from the point of view of Grey. 50 Shades of Grey as told by Christian and Darker. 50 Shades Darker as told by Christian. Look, she wasn't the best at titling stuff as told by Christian. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be a, uh, what's the word? Like, clearly she's very successful. It was working for her, but kind of seems like a one-trick pony to me. I mean, Stephanie Meyer may have hung on to the Twilight series and gripped it as tightly as she could for many books, but even after that, she she did write other books about other stuff, eventually. Well, The Mister just came out. The Mister? Yes. Oh, is that a new... E.O. James. Oh, and it has nothing to do with the Fifty Shades Mr. Grey is not the Mister. Okay. Speaking of Stephanie Meyer, creator of Twilight, when she found out about all this, she said... That's really not my genre, not my thing. Good on her. She's doing well. That's great. All right. Which (laughs) is fucking bullshit. Here's a very abbreviated financing and lawyering with RJ. Stephanie Meyer, you should not have been so magnanimous. You should have sued the shit out of that little fanfic writing whips and chains bean flicker. Get your money, son. (laughs) Protect your own horrendous product. This concludes (laughs) RJ's unsolicited advice to living millionaires everywhere yeah no everybody was very surprised that stephanie meyer did not get that she didn't get like litigious as hell and was just kind of like all right like go for it you make that porn that was initially about my characters i don't know if that's maybe she would want to distance herself from it as much because she was mormon largely writing non-sexy books about vampiric teens i don't know she's just a bottom (laughs) perhaps but it is interesting just in the context of how insane other writers can be about things like fan fiction that like Anne Rice for example way back in like the old and dirty days of of people writing fan fiction on like live journal and things like that Anne Rice would find it and go after you like she would find the person who was just you know sitting around writing these stories on the internet not gaining anything from them definitely not asking for money from them about anything like that and she would fucking sue them she would take them to court and then she's not alone. Like, this is the thing that some authors do that they get really fucking intense about where it's like, oh, you're writing your own stories of about with my characters just for funsies? Get ready to lose all the money you've ever had in court to me, a, a millionaire author, because I'm a bastard. Hey, Megan. Yeah, RJ? I got some good news for you. Yeah. And for all our listeners who write fanfic, Mickey Mouse. About to fall into the public domain. Yeah, until they change the fucking law. We really gotta do, Chris of Play Comics in particular keeps asking, we really gotta do like a study break or something where we talk about that public domain stuff. I can't wait to write that anal fisting. <laughs> that Mickey Mouse anal fisting me. fan fiction the world deserves. Steamboat Willie takes one for the team. Ew. So the original Fifty Shades of Grey tome was very financially successful but critically it was not quite as successful well, that's because the writing in it is trash the salman rushdie said of the book quote <laughs> <laughs> i gotta stop you right there <laughs> fucking excuse me what I just said five seconds ago the writing is trash, but I'm I'm also just some asshole. Why is Salman Rushdie, who's won, I don't even know what awards he's won. He's won a bunch of fucking awards for writing. What did he pick up Fifty Shades of Grey? Like, hmm, yes, uh, let's see what sort of literature I will find within these pages. <gasps> 
What is this? Quote, I've never read anything so badly written that got published. It made Twilight look like War and Peace. So he read both Fifty Shades of Grey and Twilight is what you're telling me. And War and Peace. (laughs) (laughs) Sal and Rushdie, if you're out there, I just want to talk. Maureen Dow described the book in the New York Times as being written, quote, like a Bronte devoid of talent. Now that is really accurate. This this is very similar to like, what if Wuthering Heights, but bad, and also BDSM? She also added, it was dull and poorly written. Jesse Kornbluth of the Huffington Post, the esteemed Huffington Post, (laughs) quote, as a reading experience, Fifty Shades is a sad joke. Puny of plot. Puny of plot and big of penis. Yeah, I do like, as a reading experience, I don't know how else you experience Fifty Shades of Grey. Maybe you live the roleplay. All was not bad, however. No. Mm-hmm. Entertainment Weekly writer Lisa Schwartzbaum gave the book a B-plus rating and praised it for being, quote, in a class by itself. I mean... I don't know what to say to that, except, yeah, I guess. I mean, can, who, who, who is comparable? The New Zealand Herald stated that the book, quote, will win no prizes for its prose, and that, quote, there are some exceedingly awful descriptions, although it was also an easy read. If you only can suspend your disbelief and your desire to, if you'll pardon the expression, slap the heroine for having so little self-respect, you might enjoy it. She might enjoy it, too. Jessica Reeves of the Chicago Tribune wrote that the, quote, book source material isn't great literature, noting that the novel is, quote, sprinkled liberally and repeatedly with asinine phrases and described it as depressing. (laughs) Now, Jessica, there's no need to take a swipe at Twilight like that. So mean. (laughs) Time Magazine did name P. Green as one of the world's most influential people as a result of the book's success. I think that's fair, considering what you were just telling me about the printing stats. Yeah, so there's that. And how did the books influence the world? Well, a year after the series was published, sex toy and BDSM injuries requiring attention by emergency rooms shot up by 50% nationwide in the U.S. That stat I did know. (laughs) Yeah, nothing like people going from zero to 60 without any practice because of a questionably written book. Yeah. The book also led many people to conflate BDSM relationships and abusive relationships, as the book arguably portrays the latter while uh, purporting to represent the former. And for all you wily kinksters and aspiring kinksters out there, do better than Christian and Anastasia. It's not healthy, and it's not good. And with that bit of advice, the end. I mean, Pea Green and family continue to live in shrouded rich happiness, and who knows what the future holds. Only time will tell. Hey everybody, it's Megan, and here it is, the episode we promised you before. I hope you're enjoying it. If you're not, it's only gonna get worse from here. You you ain't seen nothing yet. You, you just, just, you wait. Oh, I'm very tired. And I am sorry, really, about having to delay this episode, even though some people found the gag funny hit gag but i do really feel bad about it november just like fuck november sure was a month but we appreciate you guys bearing with us and we extremely appreciate 
your support of us, especially people who support us through our Patreon at patreon.com slash onolitclass, our wonderful, beautiful, amazing patrons who help keep the show running and get stickers, bookmarks, get to vote on shows we do, get bonus content, all kinds of fun, cool, sexy stuff, and they're, they're just the best. They're just the coolest. They're just like the Taco Bell Baja Blast of people. Don't know what I'm saying right now, especially our newest patron, Mimi. Mimi, I'm sorry this is the episode (laughs) that your name is now attached to. Unless you're into it, in which case, hey, worked out pretty cool, right? This week's Pod Pal, I know uh, on our last full episode, I talked about a show from uh, one of my co-hosts on the other show, I do Rolling Misadventures, and I'm kind of going to talk about Rolling Misadventures again, but that's just because the show's other co-host, Derek did something really freaking cool with the most recent episode. He made a choose-your-own-adventure podcast episode. It's pretty cool. Me and RJ have a section on it. Charles has a section on it. A few other former guests came in and did sections. It's pretty unique. I mean, I don't think I know any other interactive podcast experiences out there don't fact check me so i mean obviously it's not one to listen to in the car as you're going to be you know if you're going to take the left path you're going to skip ahead to like minute 12 or whatever but definitely give a listen at rollingmisadventures.com or wherever you get your podcasts it's just really fucking cool and derek did a really great job putting all the pieces together and the sound design is just really awesome and so please just check it out because he is a good boy who works very hard, whereas I am some kind of trash raccoon squeaking into a microphone. Do I really need to give you a summary of the plot in this, the year of our Lord 2019? There's a 21-year-old named Anastasia Steele, and there's a mega-rich, sociopathic, adopted billionaire, 27-year-old Christian Gray, CEO of Gray Enterprise Holdings, Inc., which does, quote, manufacturing and investments, whatever that means. And then he seduces Anna, who is, of course, a virgin, and makes her sign a special contract that says he could be the boss of her vagina, and also sometimes her butt. That's binding. (laughs) He's like if instead of fighting crime as Batman, Bruce Wayne had channeled his trauma and obsessive tendencies into manipulative, highly controlling, potentially abusive relationships, and also kinky sex. Despite displaying every possible red flag, including sending her the novel Tess of the D'Urbervilles, a classic novel by Thomas Hardy that prominently features an extremely distressing rape scene. If someone sent me that novel in a romantic way, like in the context of like romance, I would be scared of them. And Anastasia herself even walking away from him at, at multiple points, they fall in love, crash helicopters, evade one of Christian's homicidal former submissives, again, red flag, escape ex-bosses turned kidnappers, get married and have babies, despite Christian being upset that if she had a boy, she would love the baby more than Christian, and she's like, I could have a girl, and he's like, no, no, my sperm only makes boys, so. While Christian isolates Anastasia from basically everyone in her life and whips her in the butt a whole bunch. The the end. Anyway, as we are a classic literature podcast, purportedly, I don't know at this point anymore. We thought that instead of doing the thing where we examine all the shitty writing and giggle at it, we would try to elevate the novels to classic literature with the help of some Ono Lit Class alumni. And RJ, I'm going to take it over to you first. So I took the OG Fifty Shades of 
gray book. I wanted to say green there for a second. Yeah. <laughs> and I decided to do it in the stylings of one Ernest Hemingway while keeping as much of the original text intact. Ah, okay. I, I tried to leave as much description and as much of the dialogue left intact from Fifty Shades of Grey. Now, you might be able to tell where uh, maybe Ernest came in, maybe where RJ came in, and maybe where it was original uh, as written by P. Green. Now, did you focus on a specific scene? Because mine, mine, which we'll, we'll get to, I, I did books two and three. I just took out a specific scene and rewrote it. See, I took a few scenes and cobbled them together into one very long scene. Oh, good. Super long, sexy scene. Oh, good. Well, super long really kind of goes against the whole ethos of Ernest Hemingway. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how it plays out for you. Anastasia Steele and Christian Grey were in an elevator. Anastasia was his obedient worker. He was her hot-blooded boss. She looked over to him. That's not... How did you immediately get it wrong from the very beginning? What? He's not her boss. Oh. She, she goes to interview him. She's a reporter. <laughs> He's the boss now. How did you fuck this up from the first <laughs> sentence? He became her boss. Not, well, kind of. I mean, she ends up working for a publishing company. And yeah, you've he owns. seen the movies. Yeah, he owns the publishing company. <sighs> but that's not till the third book. You're writing from the first one. <laughs> wow, one <laughs> sentence in. That's like three sentences because Hemingway. Oh, yeah, fine. She yes. looked over to him. He looked back at her. <laughs> Is it just me or, she said. No, it's also, he said. She blinked her eyes. His hands held hers in a vice-like grip above her head. He's pinning her to the wall using his lips. Like Manolo did with that Marlin. <laughs> Manolo. And actually, no, Manolo. Manolo was the boy. The old man was the old man. He doesn't get a name. Manolo didn't do anything to a Marlin. I hate you. It turns out, you can teach an old man new tricks. <laughs> I'm not stopping you. Use your hands to grab my hair and yank it down, Big Daddy, she says. Their tongues dance tenderly together in the space between their mouths. Moist saliva swapping between the two. His erection pressed up against her belly. They were both horny. (laughs) Holy cow, she exclaimed. She does say that a lot. That's a big of meatball. (laughs) That one, not as much. She continued in Italian. She was not Italian. (laughs) She had no Italian heritage. His big, spicy suppressta had that effect on people. Christian's ding-dong was transcendent. It's not a very Hemingway sentence at all. (laughs) What?! Christian's ding dong was transcendent. Yeah, nice short to the point. Yeah, that's an RJ sentence. Subject, verb, object. That's it. Or description. Very short, sweet. With no warning, he reached between her legs and tugged her panties off. Her pantsuit was now crotchless. He ripped the crotch of the pantsuit clean off her, as well as the panties below. Christian was hungry. Anastasia was now only mostly dressed, missing the crotch of her pantsuit. Steel's nether regions were trapped between the cool steel of the elevator and the hot, hot spicy log of meat of Christian Grey, the color of steel. Steel was trapped between steel and a metaphor for steel. She was wet. I'm dying. I'm dying. The torn pieces of her pantsuit and panties decorated the floor. He 
remained fully clothed. He had on his jeans and a t-shirt. He then reached between them, the sound of a zipper lowering, a rip of cotton, and he pulled the entirety of his boxer briefs out the fly of his jeans. Are they still in an elevator? His erection sprung free. Holy cow! She yelled. The erection slapped between her thighs. Pitter-patter. Pitter-patter. No, baby. There's nothing holy about it. He reached into the back pocket of his sex jeans. He never takes jeans off during sex. He will not be taking them off this time either. He pulls out a condom. She watches him begin to put the condom on his considerable length. Oh no, she whispers. Will it? How? She questions. The sound of latex smacking around his penis fills the elevator. He steps back. He looks at her. Her, clothed in a pantsuit sans sans crotch, covering of any kind. Him, clothed, sans the flagpole of flesh sprouted from the zipper of his jeans. Show me how you pleasure yourself, he says. Yes, sir, she says. Keep still, he says, watching her diddle herself like a toddler clumsily petting a pussycat. (laughs) We're going to have to work on keeping you still, baby, he coos. Let's see if we can make you come like this, he said. He kneeled before her, like Timothy Richard Tebow has on many football fields. Oh, God damn it! He leans in for a lick. You're so deliciously wet. Uh, I don't like it anymore. She was. <laughs> God, I want you. I'm going to fuck you now, Miss Steele. Hard, he said. He then stood back up. He fucked Miss Steele. Hard. Hard. <laughs> Just like he said. Come for me, Anna, he said. Is there more? <laughs> Anastasia's inner goddess came out. She breathed in and out. He breathed in and out. Without even needing to be asked, she knelt. She pulled him deep within her mouth so she could feel him at the back of her throat. Ew. Then to the front again, she thinks to herself. He's my very own Christian Grey flavored popsicle. Ew. Oh, God. That's probably something that's from the book, isn't it? <laughs> He had an umami flavor. (laughs) And that's something from RJ. (laughs) She sucked harder and harder. Is that good, sir? She asked with her mouth full. To him, it sounded like she said, (laughs) He rewards her with a river's worth of semen in her mouth. My inner goddess is doing the merengue with some salsa moves and cum, she muses. That's from the book. Oh, I believe it. The two of them move to a bedroom. Anastasia climaxes again... And again. They went from an elevator to the bedroom. And again. <laughs> His fingers moved rhythmically inside her to the beat of staying alive. The beat you should use when giving CPR. But never give mouth to mouth anymore. It's outdated. His thumbs circling and pressing. His other hand scoops her hair off her head and holds her head in place. His tongue claims her. Her legs begin to stiffen and she pushes against his hand. She climaxes anew, calling out his name. He's still wearing his jeans. She calls him Sexy Jean Daddy. (laughs) He grabs her, tipping her across his lap. With one smooth movement, he angles his body so her torso is resting on the bed beside him. He throws his right leg over both of hers and plants his left forearm on the small of her back. She cannot move. He hits her. Hard. Her ass turns to pink of a 7 p.m. sky on a hot Havana night. (laughs) That wasn't so bad. I'm more stoic than I thought, she thinks. Well, at least she's quiet, he thinks. Christian squirts baby oil into his hand and then rubs her behind with careful tenderness. From makeup remover to soothing balm 
for a spanked ass. Who would have thought it was such a versatile liquid? Wait, baby oil? That's not makeup remover. What the fuck are you talking about? I think that came from the book. You beguile me, Christian. Completely overwhelm me. I feel like Icarus flying too close to the sun, she says. Beguile. That's a big word for you. (laughs) Fuck you and that massive cock of yours. You already did. Careful not to touch her stinging behind, they spoon again. He's the big spoon. She's the tiny spoon. I may need the drug spoon. (laughs) Heroin. Straight in my veins. He kisses her softly beside her ear. She turns to look at him over her shoulder. Why don't you like to be touched, she asked, staring up into his soft gray eyes. Because I'm fifty shades of fucked up Anastasia. She manages not to laugh. (laughs) The woman who brought me into this world was a crack whore, Anastasia. Anastasia imagines a four-year-old gray-eyed boy in a dark, scary, miserable place. Then she thinks about how big his dick would have had to been when he was four. A fucking unit. His arms are wrapped around her. He's pulling her to him. She thinks, he needs me, for whatever reason, at this point in time, and I have never felt so desired and coveted. I feel fine, he says. There's nothing wrong with me. I feel fine. As Jean still clung to his lower half. But there was something wrong with him. And those problems return in Fifty Shades Darker. (laughs) I think, <laughs> I think E.L. James is going to come for you. Come for uh, me? Uh, yeah, I think she's going to come after you um, with your, your erotic uh, retellings here. Just go write some, some erotic uh, Hemingway fan fiction. That was an experience. Was it Hemingway-esque? Sure. All right, so I did the other two. Uh, mine are much shorter. <laughs> That's okay. People will now have a feel for this text. People probably some people might have feelings that they uh, that they feel uncomfortable with and cannot understand. Understandable. That's a spicy <laughs> meatball. All right, so I really, really wanted to try to to do a, a woman author. I didn't want it to just be all men telling this this story that was written by a woman, but unfortunately. Uh, I want to do Jane Austen. It's really hard to write like Jane Austen. Like, I actually really did try hard on these. I uh, I really tried to imitate the style and the voice, and I couldn't do it with Jane Austen. It was too hard. So here's Chase Darker, uh, Edgar Allan Poe style. And in this scene, Christian and Anastasia are, well, they're in an elevator. <laughs> they're always in an elevator. Apparently. It's a and... sexy place. Well, because it's four walls of steel. Mm. Steel against steel. Steel against steel against steel. And his eyes are the color of gray. Of course. The Uh, color of steel. Yep. This is after, because they break up at the end of the first one. And they're not back together yet, but they're in an elevator together. It's kind of awkward. It's kind of hot. So this is is, uh, that section as told by Edgar Allan Poe. Christian and I are pressed against each other in the stifling confines of the elevator with no obvious means of ingress or egress. He is the sun. And I am frenzied Icarus drawn into his dazzling incandescence where I would but burn. So apparently that's a favorite one of hers too, because that's from the book. (laughs) A peculiar electricity courses through the impossibly cramped space. I gaze into his eyes and deep within the endless pooled bowels of my deepest, most base desires, a dark, reaching, almost grotesque feeling of primal, lustful need fills me. I stand stiff-frozen, muscles, sinew, and blood chilled, and yet overpowered with an impossible, yet emphatic heat. We clasp hands, fingers, and knuckles, and skin, and bone, and with a mad assumption, 
The sharpened ivories of my teeth rove the blood-fevered redness of my lips. How, I wonder, my mind aflame, tortured by the question, how is it possible that this man controls me so and sends me into fits of vile and ecstatic frenzy? Please don't bite your lips, Anastasia, Christian admonishes me, something alive in his eyes, something shining, strange, and arabesque. You know what it does to me. My inner goddess, which has for a fortnight lay slumped in despair, death-like in stillness and echoing silence, begins to stir in a disgustful excitement of what may be yet to come. Holy cow! <laughs> Holy cow! <laughs> a lot of those words are directly from the book and directly from the Red Mask of Death, so <laughs> take from that what you will. Uh, Chef kiss. So I don't know if you want to participate in this one. Fifty Shades Freed, the the final book. Well, not uh, really, because then you got to get to the two that were written from Christian's pov. Well, the final uh, of the original uh, trilogy uh, uh, is done. I did in the style of old Big Willie Shakespeare. Hmm. Now, I, I know before you were like, I want to be Anna, but Anna has a whole big uh, soliloquy at the beginning here. I don't know if you feel up for that. Do you uh, want to be Christian? You could do it then. Okay, you could be Christian. So this in this scene... Christian got mad that Anastasia was topless on a nude beach because no one's allowed to see her titties but him. And they have rough sex and he, he gives her a bunch of hickeys all over her chest. So she, she can't wear anything basically now but like a burka without looking really ridiculous. And she notices it for the first time in the mirror and she's pretty pissed off. So scene one, Anna brushing her hair nude to the audience. I'd but cast an eye to mine own breast and find it blemished by damnable hickeys. Woe, that I am wed to one of such noble blood. Aye, hot-blooded, perhaps. He has laid me low with bruises, welts, and rings as though I were but a harlot. Verily, though my inner goddess lies satisfied, well-fed in her sinful appetites, I am haunted by the judgment of my subconscious, perhaps a being all its own. I know not for certain, yet it nonetheless informs my disposition. Mirthless, and hung with rage at this indiscretion that Christian hath visited upon me through the course of our love-making. Mark me, but in marking me, the villain has gone too far afield, and my subconscious demands recompense, for skin once alabaster now aflame like blushing maids. Hark, before I hear the sextrous fiend's call, I will act as though my ears are immune to his cries. Anna, art thou well? To the audience. I hear him not. How dare he make inquiries upon me? I hear him not. He endeavors to rear me as one would a child. Then a child I shall be. Anna throws a brush at Christian and storms away, uh -huh. presumably still nude. <laughs> Scene two. Christian confronts Anna. I fear I find myself out of thy good graces. Thou speakest true, scornfully. What a clever boy thou art. How wouldst I judge the current of thy moods, were I to scale them measured against heaven and earth? My lord, they would be scaled to a half measure of a hundred. That's fifty. <laughs> Dost thou find this appropriate? Fret now, but thy wealth will keep thee modestly attired. The modesty of my attire is not in your lordship. It is not counted among your scores of land and men and titles. Canst thou not understand? My body is mine own. Then you would do well to keep it so, and away it from the roving eyes of those who claim it. Thou hast the petulance of a babe. Perhaps. 
The aim of thy words flies as true as thy hairbrush, Lady Grey. Then it would do thee well to remember this, my lord, for when next I may have a pistol. And then they do with a sex. Oh, 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 no. Oh, Oh, your jeans. Your dom jeans. (laughs) Look at my blue denim. Thou deep wine-colored denim. (laughs) I worked really hard on that. So... Before we reach the end of this, whatever this ends up being, let's talk a little bit about adaptations. So as we discussed... Well, we used to be four-legged animals, and we've adapted to be two-legged animals. Now, this helps with us having the ability to have sex face-to-face, unlike most animals where it always has to be, you know, face-to-back. That's probably the biggest adaptation when it comes to humans and sex. All right, I didn't expect that. You got me there. Um... (laughs) Oh, it's true. <laughs> okay. Most animals don't. That's, Can't. Yeah, I guess. We'll you gotta pa- do it doggy style, like on the Discovery Channel. God damn it. All right, so... You and me, baby. Yes, we ain't nothing but mammals. So, this obviously is an adaptation, since at its core, it's a rejiggering of Twilight fanfiction. But then there are also the movies, starring Jamie Dornan as Christian Grey and Dakota Johnson as Anastasia Steele, whose electric chemistry is perhaps only outmatched by Sean Connery and Catherine Zeta-Jones in Entrapment, or Natalie Portman and Hayden Christensen in the Star Wars prequels, or Drywall Damp. It is unclear whether this is a result of the terrible script they had to work with or that they absolutely hate each other in real life, but clearly not as much as they love making money. I've got a lot of really great fucking trivia about these movies that I did not know. So we've never read the books. We still really haven't read the books. We have seen all the movies. We have. Do we want to discuss this? Do we want to try to justify our actions? No. <laughs> Here's the thing, They though. stand for themselves. They're not sexy. No, they're not. They're, they're so aggressively unsexy. And if anything, Christian Grey comes across as even more of a fucking, just a walking red flag. God, it's just bad. I agree. We watched the first one on a, on a whim... When we were we were trashed in all fairness, and we were like, "No, this Can't is stop this, now. This is still awful." And then, yeah, the second one came out, and we were like, "Could it possibly be as bad as the first? And it was. It absolutely was. And then the third one came out. And we were like, "Well, fuck. We can't stop now." <laughs> and and that's it. That's unfortunately all we have to say for ourselves. So let's hear some stuff about these movies, because oh man, it's it's real good. Okay, so. Dakota Johnson, Anastasia Steele, told her parents, Don Johnson and Melanie Griffith, not to watch it because it made her really uncomfortable. Also, did you know that Don Johnson, Miami Vice Don Johnson, is Dakota Johnson's dad? Oh, they share a name, so I, it I, makes I, I sense. did not know that. Did you know that Jamie Dornan personally toured a bunch of sex dungeons for research, but then also signed a contract to make sure he didn't have to take his dick out during the movie? <laughs> Did you know that the studio originally wanted Joe Wright to direct the film? As in Pride and Prejudice and Atonement, Joe Wright. Oh, he would bring a bit of class to the whole affair. Did you know that the director, Sam Taylor Johnson, omitted the scene from the novel where Christian removes Anna's tampon so they could have sex? Did you know there's a scene in the book where Christian removes Anna's tampon so they could have sex? With his teeth? I don't know! I don't want to know. Vampires are into that. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess in the in the original that uh, may have made more more sense there. Did you know 
that Sam Taylor Johnson hated working with E.L. James and fighting over every little change from the book in the script so much that she was like, fuck it, someone else take over. I hate E.L. James more than I love money. And also, for the sequels, E.L. James just had her fucking husband write the screenplays. Also, the director of both sequels was James Foley. Who's not only the director of a dozen Madonna music videos, which kind of makes sense, and also Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. There you go. <laughs> Good cinema right there. The director of fucking Fifty Shades Darker and Fifty Shades Green is the director of Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Someone had to do it. You don't get sex yet, Anastasia. Sex is for closers. Sex is for closers. <laughs> Did you know every piece of trivia about these fucking movies is great? It's so good. And then I guess there are porn parodies, I guess, but, you know, who cares? It's not interesting. And that's that's all I got on that subject. Yeah, I don't have much more to add. What can you say that, that hasn't already been said? That's a spicy meatball. Holy cow. Holy cow. Thanks, Bart. No, he don't have a cow. I caramba. And now typically this is where we would come to the part yeah, we would come, where we would, This is where we would come, but we're not gonna. Oh, I already is, did. Yep, that's why. This is where we would come to the part of the show that we always have to get to, but um, I'm not really sure how that would fit here. So in lieu of that, I'm gonna say, hey, RJ. What's up? How's your inner goddess feeling right now? Satiated. Very <laughs> pleased. <laughs> okay. Hey, Megan. Yeah, RJ. You're inner goddess. How in love with Big Jean Daddy is she? My inner goddess threw herself off a cliff is an act of protest and is dead now. How crotchless is your pantsuit? My, my pantsuit is so crotchless. That'll about do it for this... This episode of Oh No Lit Class, this technically still 69th episode. Mazel. <laughs> yep. If you like the show, uh, if, if we make your inner goddess happy. DM me. Slide on <laughs> no, into those bad boys. Don't do that. Stay far you, away from that. You can hire me to write your fanfic. You could, I suppose. I'm good at it. Yeah, hire RJ to write your fanfic, uh, but also spread the word. Uh, tell your spread friends. Spread the legs. Spread, don't, don't do that. Tell your Why not? Whoa! You sex shaming here? No. You prude. I don't think people should... I don't, I'm not comfortable with people spreading the legs for this show. That, that, I don't want that. I didn't say do it for the show. Do it for themselves. Oh, just do it in general? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're up to it. Uh, tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell your enemies. Tell your submissive. Tell your dom. Tell, tell your sex genes daddy. <laughs> Be like, I'm about to whip you in the butt. And then after that... See, this is I have a very limited understanding of how BDSM works. Basically just about as much of an understanding as E.L. James does. <laughs> Say, hey, before we have that kinky sex, how about we listen to an episode of Ono Lit Class? And then we'll never feel horny again forever. There you go. <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter at Ono Lit Class Pod. Check us out on Facebook. Listen to us anywhere, everywhere. In in the Red Room, in your playroom. And always at onolitclass.com. The next episode will be out December 19th. Until then, I'm Megan. <laughs> I'm RJ. And we're sorry. Bye.
So. <laughs> you should go do something about him, huh? Oh, yeah, Instead yeah. of setting off alarms, maybe you should solve some problems. God. Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself.